This morning's scripture is from Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, verses 1 through 15. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink take pleasure in all their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already is, and God seeks out what has gone by. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, there is one last announcement that I failed to make this morning, and that is who the winner of our Sabbath box is today. And uh, our winner today is Miss Ruth Ann Robertson. And you may pick up your Sabbath box and begin working on a rhythm for you and your family when it comes to work and rest. Solomon was a man who was acquainted with work and rest. The scriptures say that he was the wisest man to ever have lived, and his wisdom is contained in part in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, though, is one of those books that's easy to skip over because it's confusing. It's not as confusing as maybe Chronicles is and all those lists of he begat her and she begat him, but it is confusing in the sense that it takes time to work through the wisdom that Solomon shares with us. It takes time to parse through the sayings of the Proverbs, which Solomon also wrote many of. It takes time, and so we have to slow down. But by and large, the church has skipped through Ecclesiastes. We've looked over these passages of Scripture. We really only know Ecclesiastes 3 because of the birds, right? I mean, they made it pop culture to sing there is a season for all things under heaven, right? A time to every purpose under heaven is how they phrased it. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. I'm the only one who knows this song. 
Okay, a time to be born. I won't go any further than that. That's enough. <laughs> As uh, I was reading this earlier uh, in the 9 a.m. service, I, I had a hard time not s- jumping into song because it's so embedded in our brains that way. It, it touches us with emotion and feelings. We remember sometimes where we were when a song comes on the radio. It's funny. It's funny, isn't it? How songs have that kind of power. How songs become the soundtrack of different seasons of our lives. Growing up in Richmond Hill, uh, my parents used to listen to 97.3 WAEV and Mike Miller in the morning. Mike Miller in the morning. Uh, Anybody remember Mike Miller? And long before WAEV played top 40 hits like they do today, they played oldies. It was the oldies station for the longest time. And so every Sunday um, after church, I can remember driving home with my mom listening to Casey Kasem and the American Top 40 Countdown. Remember that? The Top 40 Countdown? Casey Kasem? And about 12.15, as we were heading home, we got to hear the number two and number one songs on the playlist from 1963. You remember how that worked? It's like, we're going to play you the hits from yesteryear. It was, it was interesting. And every week, my brother As we were riding home, we hoped that we would hear, I heard it through the grapevine, because we'd seen the California Raisins claymation. Do you remember that? And Hardee's had a little promotion with the California Raisins. You could buy like a biscuit and get a glass. Uh, You know, we had all these random glasses in our house with the California Raisins on them. We just hoped that they'd play, I heard it through the grapevine. We listened to oldies, but my mom, she also loved to listen to um, a folk singer um, by the name of Harry Chapin. And if you're under probably the age of 30, you don't, you don't know who Harry Chapin is, but you ought to. You ought to learn who Harry Chapin is. Chapin was a folk musician and for a time, uh, for a, time a taxi driver. And I can remember my mom had a videotape of one, of one of Harry Chapin's concerts. And the song that I remember is not Cats in the Cradle, which he's famous for. It's not Taxi, which is probably my favorite song that he wrote. Or 30,000 Pounds of Bananas. All incredible songs in their own right. The song I remember is a song called Circle. You remember how that song goes? Because all my life's a circle, sunrise and sundown. The moon rolls through the nighttime until the daybreak comes around. All my life's a circle, but I can't tell you why. Seasons spinning round again, the years keep rolling by. Kind of reminds me of the last verse from our text in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon says, whatever is, it has already been. And whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. All my life's a circle. I think Solomon would agree with that. But if all you ever paid attention to in Ecclesiastes 3 are the parts that have been put to song or alluded to in song, you would miss the profound point of this chapter. You'd miss out on Solomon's wisdom about work, the very wisdom of God breaking through the text to teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go, in the way that we should live our lives. Yes, that we are humans and our lives are bound by time. We are all born and we will all die. Seasons come and go, and they point toward rhythms that long to be discovered so that we can live abundantly. Wisdom is in part knowing when it's time for every activity under heaven. 
And this profound work, this profound point that comes not from the lyricized poem of Ecclesiastes 3, but from the prose. That work, in and of itself, is not a curse, but a gift. I'm going to say that again and louder for our culture to hear. Work is not a curse, it's a gift. Productivity, creativity is not a curse, but a gift. In fact, our work, our meaningful, purposeful, creative work is a part of the very image of God imprinted, impressed upon our souls. Think all the way back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. You won't have to think hard if you're in one of our disciple classes because that's where we've been this past week. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let us create humanity in our image. And so God made humanity in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. That's you and me. We are made in the image of God. This happens after God spends time, days, creating the vastness of the universe, the stars and the heavens, the earth and the seas, the plants and the animals. And at the end of it all, humanity is God's crowning achievement. Because it's humanity that has God's very image impressed upon that which is created. And that image has much less to do with how you and I look and much more to do with our God-given capacities for relationships, yes. For love, yes. For creativity, yes. And yes, for work. We, like God, can work. We, like God, can create. We, like God, can take chaos and bring it into order. Do you know how I know this? Because I've seen you do it. I've seen some of you who work in small business take the chaos of a shop and bring it into order. I've seen some of you who work with spreadsheets and databases in accounting take chaos and bring order out of it. I've seen some of you who work in HR and, and work with people in relationships and you take the chaos of people's lives and you bring it back into order. That's not your own giftedness. That's the image of God impressed on you. That capacity comes from God. Your capacity, your ability to work is beautiful and it's a gift. Not only that, but you have been given unique gifts for work. In the room today, we have engineers and teachers and law enforcement and lawyers and doctors and small business owners and artists and creatives and musicians. And each of you is equipped with gifts that aren't just designed for you to exploit, but they're given to you that you might make a difference in the world, that you might make a difference wherever it is that you happen to be. Your life, your life is made that you might be part of the work that God is doing in and through creation. The problem is, all too often, we make work a curse for us. We make our work a curse. We were created for productivity, but we make our work a curse. I think this happens most often because our work is detached from God's call on our lives that we've taken and we've segmented our lives so that our religious faith lives over here and our work lives over here and the two don't touch. 
We've detached our work from our call. And because of this, some of us, we go to the office and we feel like our work is meaningless. Maybe you feel like you're just a cog in a wheel of a machine that produces something, makes something. Maybe you feel like your work lacks purpose. Don't lose heart because there's something you can do. You can recapture meaning and purpose in your work and for your work. And the problem is understanding how you got to this place. See, most of us, myself included, when we left high school and went to college or we went to trade school or joined the military, we did so because we believed that by doing so, we could make money, that somebody would pay us, that we would get a check maybe at the end of the week or at the end of the month that would allow us to live the life that we always wanted to live. So we decided to major in things that would get us the biggest check. Any amens here? I will take the laughs as amens, right? We, we did things, we took classes, we got certificates and did internships solely so the check could be a little bit bigger. But in our pursuit of getting more in our paychecks, sometimes we've divorced ourselves and our work, <clears throat> our work from God's call on our life. I hope you make lots of money. I really do. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with making lots of money. Hope you also are generous and that you also save. Hope all those things are true for you. But if all you work for is a paycheck, then I want to suggest to you that your work lacks deep and transformative meaning. So I want to ask you, when it comes to your work, does what you are doing set your soul on fire? In your work, whatever it may be. Are you living in a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet? That's how Frederick Buechner describes living in God's call. See, I believe that that's how you and I find satisfaction in our work. When our work is connected to our call. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I've got a heart for missions for seeing children around the world cared for and nurtured. And I guess that means that the best thing I could possibly do is quit my job and become a missionary. I guess I need to resign from the Bullitt County Board of Education and move to Ghana. Y'all, I don't think that's the answer for 99.9% .9 of us. I don't, I don't think that's it. If you're a teacher and you've got a heart for seeing children cared for and nurtured, why not have your class become pen pals with a class of students in Ghana? Write them notes. Learn about the children who are over there so that, so that those children in your classroom, their world expands and broadens. And those children in Ghana realize that someone on the other side of the world cares for them. What if you just took one step toward aligning your work and your call? Why not adopt a compassion child who happens to live in that country? Why not, why not go across town and volunteer to cook meals for kids over the summer? Or volunteer to work on the book bus? Or maybe just make your classroom a safe place for children who have no safe place at home. You can transform the world from right where you are. It just takes bringing your work <clears throat> one step closer toward your call. For most of us, responding to God's call with our work isn't about dropping everything. 
It's about drawing our work and our call closer together. It's about being creative and how we can leverage our careers and our work for the kingdom of God. I've got a friend who's, who's actually done this. It's, it's pretty incredible. He's a very successful architect, lives in Atlanta, but has a heart for people having basic resources for life and education. So he started this project where he designed sustainable and affordable buildings for people, <clears throat> excuse me, in Africa. Now this man, he doesn't build the buildings, he doesn't arrange the work teams, but he uses his God-given talents and abilities, his gifts for drawing and engineering, architecting, to make a difference for God half a world away. See, living into God's calling isn't about dropping everything, it's about drawing your work closer and closer to God's call in your life. Don't make your work a curse by detaching it from your call. That's the first way we make our work a curse. Excuse me. The second way that we do it is by misusing our gifts. See, many of us, we take our giftedness, our capacity for work, and we work in unsustainable rhythms. I am one of those people who works occasionally in an unsustainable rhythm of life. Sometimes we work until we fall asleep, and then we wake up and we work some more. We eat lunch alone at our desks or in our vehicles. We work until we're burnt out and turn out and yell at our kids and our spouses because we got to work. We work until we can't work anymore. Friends, that's not a healthy rhythm. And that is a misuse and an abuse of the gifts that God has given you for creativity, for productivity, and for work. That's not God's will for you. That's not God's will for me. We are more than our occupation. You were created for making more than just a paycheck. You were created to work in sustainable and responsible ways that enable you to live an abundant life, an abundant life, the life that Jesus came for you to have. The goal for each of us in our rhythms of work is just as Solomon says, that in every season of our lives that we might be happy and do good while we live, that we might be able to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in our work because this is not a curse, because this is a gift from God. You, each and every one of you, is invited to make, a, make your work part of your offering to God, to make your work part of what it will mean for you to be a holy and living sacrifice, to make your work not an extension or an addition, but a part of the rhythm of your life and a part of the rhythm of your relationship with God. There's a season for everything under heaven, our work included. There's a time but God's will is that you would enjoy life, its abundance, that your work would have meaning and purpose, and that through your work, you might see and know the God who created you and formed you and who called you his own. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord God, forgive us for the ways that we have misused the gifts and talents that you've given us. Forgive us for the times that we've believed that we're the only one who can get these things done. Forgive us 
for the less than abundant ways of living that we've adopted and, and give us, Lord, the will, the heart, the power to make changes that draw us closer to your call on our life and enable us to live in healthy rhythms, God. Lord, we surrender every part of ourselves to you. We know that that's what you ask, God, is that we wouldn't withhold anything, even our work from you, Lord. So in these moments, God, help us to make the changes we need to make. Help us to forgive ourselves for the ways that we've lived so that we might make changes that bring honor and glory to you and help us take hold of life that truly is life. Lord God, we love you and we thank you for this time, for this family, for your good and pleasing will for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.